Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Here's what God's Word says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We like to say it this way. This is the word of God for the people of God to which we say thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you truly this morning. That that is not meant to just be a, a weekly ritual. That's meant to be a weekly reminder, God, that we have before us such an incredible gift, the greatest Christmas gift the gift of your son Jesus revealed through the gift of your word. And so would you today help us, God? Uh, We need your help to focus. We we know that we cannot walk away from this place changed without you. We don't have it within ourselves to, um, to experience all that you want for us. So would you captivate us this morning by your spirit to be fully transformed by the most powerful thing in this world, and that is your love. So would you today pour out your love in our hearts by your Holy Spirit? I ask God that you would take what I've prepared, and in your mercy and grace, would you use it? Would you speak to us? Would you get me out of the way? Would you give me the ability to speak for you, and would you speak through me? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Go ahead and have your seat. Well, there in Romans 5, as Paul makes this pivot off of the first four chapters, what we've been saying Paul is doing here is he has been opening up a door and inviting us into this incredible room that we have access to through Jesus. It's this room, he even says, of grace. Through being made right with God, it's like Paul saying, those of you who have trusted in Christ, you have been made right with God. You've been justified. You're declared righteous. Come on into this room and take a look around at what you have in Jesus. You have things such as hope, peace, joy, and then there at the end of this section, you have love. And it's not just that Paul, it's interesting even the way he says it as he's talking about Love, if you didn't catch it yet, that's our fourth virtue today, we're beholding love. Uh, It's not just that Paul even adds on love as like one of the many things that we have in Jesus. Isn't it interesting how he says at the end of chapter 5 that we have all these things, we have this hope, we have this joy, we have this peace. Notice this key word, because. Because the love of God. Aren't you thankful for the love of God? If it wasn't for the love of God, that's what Paul is saying, for the love of God. For the love of God, he sent his son Jesus into the world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's because of the love of God that we have peace with God. 
It's because of the love of God that we have the hope of God. It's because of the love of God that we have joy. It's the reason behind all that God has done. I think this is an interesting idea, seeing love as the motivating factor behind why we are here worshiping today. And so in in light of that truth, I mean, for most of us, this is not a new thing. If you've gone to VBS once in your life, you have learned or sang a song to some degree about there being a God and him having some kind of involvement with this thing called love. Uh, The love of God, it's not that it's foreign to us as a theory or as an idea, but I wonder if it's foreign to us as a reality. I wonder if it's true to us as an experience, as something that we live as the because in our life, the because we do everything, the because of our relationship with God. Is it God's love? I want to talk today as we get right into this this morning. I want to look at the three responses that we see in this verse that we as God's people should have towards this love. Love has come through Christmas. As Jesus was born, love was born. Love came into this world. So how then should we respond as those who have been loved by God? Let's start here with the first point, and that is simply we are called to behold the love of God in Christ. That's number one. Behold the love of God in Christ. Uh, There's a unique, helpful two-letter word that's used here to describe this love. It says it's the love of God. The love of God. That's what we're beholding, the special love of God. Not the love of man, not the love from or in or through anything else. This is a unique love that we're beholding, the love of God. Um, that preposition is important because there's a lot of different kinds of love, but this is a love that's from God. And Scripture tells us in 1 John 3 that we are called to behold this love. It's 1 John 3, 1, and there's our, our word for our series. We're called to behold what manner of love. It's, in other words, the kind of this love that the Father has bestowed on us that we shall be called children of God. That's what we're doing here. We're we're, we're obeying scripture. We're taking a look. We're not just kind of glancing at it, but we're fixing our gaze on what manner of love is this? What kind of love is this? Now, um, we said specifically, we're not just beholding any old love. We're beholding the love of God in Christ. Now, this is true of love. It's true of anything and everything about God. All that we behold in God can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what, how truthful God is? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God treats people? Look at Jesus. Jesus, the scriptures tell us, is the image of the invisible God. Uh, in the Greek, it, 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 we get the word Nikon photographs from it. It's this idea that he's the snapshot. Like, take a look at Jesus, you'll see God. Jesus spoke this way uh, about himself. In John 14, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. This is the theme of the Gospel of John. To see Jesus is to see what God is like. Um, also, John 1.18 tells us this, that no one has seen God at any time. We're all aiming in some way to get to know God and get a grip on God. The only begotten Son, though, who is in the bosom of the Father, in close proximity, eternally in relationship with the Father, He has declared Him. Now, here's just kind of a quick background to this to give a context for what we're talking about here. Uh, Some have said that this is the most important doctrine for us as God's people. Now, 
obviously that's kind of relative. What's the most important? I'm pretty sure all the truths about God are pretty important. And maybe we shouldn't say one or the other. But when it comes to like us talking to each other, going, hey, aren't you thankful for God? This is kind of up there on the list of things that we can be grateful for. The fact that God has not hidden himself. I mean, all the hope we have, it hinges on the fact that God has not remained in secret, but he has made himself known. Contrary to the idols that we serve, the Bible talks about them being mute. You know, they can't speak. They can't do anything for us. They can't reveal power to us. But the God of the universe, the God who created you and me from the very beginning has been communicating. He's been speaking. He's been disclosing who he is. This is the doctrine of revelation. And by the way, this is the only way for any creature to know anything about a creator. We've talked a lot about this in regards to C.S. Lewis's comments uh, about kind of the irony of atheism that says, you know, I I don't believe in God because I haven't found him. And C.S. Lewis says, yeah, as though, you know, as though uh, Hamlet would find Shakespeare by climbing up to the top of the set. I found him! C.S. Lewis says, no, the only way that Hamlet could ever know anything about Shakespeare, we've talked about this a lot, right, is if Shakespeare chose to write something about himself as the author into the story. Right? You following me here? It's at his, it's at, uh, uh, Hamlet, rather, is at the mercy of Shakespeare's own self-disclosure. Hamlet will only know as much as Shakespeare desires him to as a character in the story of the author. And we too, we are characters in the story of a greater author named God who has created this world. And listen, he has revealed himself. Hebrews says that he has spoken in various times in various ways. Hebrews 1 says that. There's no shortage in in the ways that God has revealed himself through prophets, through at one point donkeys, aka God will use anyone in anything, okay? Um, God has has chosen in so many supernatural, miraculous, even simple ways. Romans 1 says creation. Is there a God? What is he like? Well, let's start here. Look around. You see the art? There must have been an artist, right? This is the conclusion. Now, I love what Hebrews says. God has spoken and revealed himself in many ways, but he has in these last days as the peak of his revelation, he has made himself most clear through Jesus who is the word made flesh, and we have beheld his glory. And this Jesus, though no one has ever seen God, this Jesus declares God to us. He's the revelation of God, and we know enough to know truth through him. Now, there's this, also this great truth that we also know in part, right? Okay, so anytime someone comes to you with this new doctrine where they figured it all out, you can quickly make your way around them, because we know that there's a sense in which we don't know everything yet. 1 Corinthians 13 says that we don't know it all. Now, one day, the Bible says we're going to see him. Fa- talk about a revelation, okay? We are going to see God for who he is from top to bottom, all right? There's not going to be a part of him that we're not going to see and behold. But in the meantime, we have this great hope in knowing truth through Jesus. And Jesus in so many ways revealed God. But if there's one characteristic about God that Jesus revealed, we could say it's the love of God. What is God like? Look at Jesus. You see the love of God. And it's certainly through his person, right? Like the way that Jesus lived revealing God throughout his life, you see God going to those that no one else would. You see God forgiving those that no one else would deem forgivable. You see Jesus bringing light and love to the lost and the broken. And you could look at his life, you could read the Gospel of John as we're going to next year. 
and see this in his person, but there is no greater display of the love of God in Christ than the cross. So we're talking about Jesus kind of being the peak of God's revelation in his person. Now, if Jesus is the peak of that revelation, the cross is the tip of that peak. Does that make sense? Like this is the very top of what God has done. You look at the cross and you see, you behold the love of God. And that's not my words, the cross being the demonstration of God's love. That's actually Paul's words. And let's move past chapter 5 here in Romans 5 to verse 6 and see what we're talking about here. Paul writes that when we were without strength, when we were still without strength, in other words, we did not have it within ourselves to work our way into God's favor. We were and we are, apart from him, weak. Can someone say amen? Amen. Would you agree with that? All right, that's a good thing to agree with. We were without strength, but in due time, some translations say at just the right time, God's pretty good with timing, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It's pretty rare in, in not just Paul's culture, but in our culture to, to go, man, that guy's righteous. He's church-going. I'm going to give my life for that church-goer. Paul said if people are going to give their life for anyone, it's probably not going to be a righteous man. Scarcely. Every now and then. Less and less probably in our culture. Okay? But scarcely for, for a righteous man will someone die. Yet perhaps, you know, he goes, you know, perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. We're probably more inclined to die for a good man as probably more than a righteous man. If I'm going to give my life for someone, I don't really want to do it for like a religious person, a righteous person. I'm going to do it for just a good old man. He's a good, jolly good fellow, and I'll give my life for him. Okay. Paul's saying probably more common to give your life for a good man. But God, here's where God stands out. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes, nobody's going to die for a righteous man, (laughs) scarcely. Most people may die for a good man. Here's what he says, but we are neither of those things. We're not good men. We're not righteous men. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God compared to... We might feel righteous as we compare ourselves to each other. As churchgoers, we might feel more righteous than the non-churchgoers who only come on Christmas Eve. We're here Sunday. Hello, okay? But compared to God and His holiness and His standard, when you think about the sins that we've committed against this holy God, there is none righteous. We are sinners. And God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Jesus went to the cross. He died, Paul says, for the ungodly, for the weak, the ungodly, and the sinner. This is, Paul says, the demonstration, think about this, the demonstration of God's love. You ever had someone knock at your door to give you a demonstration? You have never cut with knives like this before, all right? You have never taken a... a vitamin supplement like this before. You have you got the other doorbell camera things. You've never done one like this. And the way that they try to sell their product to convince you of the value of their products, they give you a demonstration. They let you handle the knives. Oh, maybe not. Maybe they shouldn't. But, you know, they let you check out the camera. They demonstrate it to you. They show it off to you. That's what God has done on the cross through Jesus. Not just saying, let me tell you about my love, but let me demonstrate to you the truth so that you are convinced that I am a God of love. 
A demonstration of God's love. One translation says that he displayeth his love. He shows it off. He says, look at the cross, check it out. You're going to see my love where the God of the universe gives himself for those who did not deserve it. For those that were sinning against him. He gave his life for them and that's love. Now what does the cross, as we behold the love of God in Christ on the cross, what exactly does the cross demonstrate to us about God's love? What does the cross demonstrate to us about God's love? I think we'll start here. First and foremost, that God loves. You have to start here. This is important because a lot of us aren't convinced of this. God loves. He really loves. A lot of us, we relegate the love of God, I think, to a decision God made. Like he sent his son Jesus, that was the decision. But God's love is true about him. It's not just the thing he did. This is important for us to understand this. It's essential to his character, right? So much so that, you know what 1 John 4 says? It says this, that God is love. In a culture that says love is God, the Bible says God is love. God is love. It's who he is. It's in his his, his essence. It's in his nature. He is a God of love. Um, you got to understand it this way. It's why he does what he does, because he loves. In fact, we know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. We know that he loved. We know kind of how he, but like, it's the reason behind it. I, I love Ephesians 2 talks about this for us, that, that God, when he raised us from the dead, when we were dead in our sins, he saved us. It says, because of the great love with which he loved us. This is just so fundamental to understand God this way. A lot of us, we have a God that doesn't feel love towards us, or he doesn't feel love towards people. He just kind of does things because it's what you do, you're God. But we need to see properly in Scripture, and especially through Jesus, you see God loving people genuinely, loving you, okay? That's central. That's where it starts. And uh, some people have even explained this as you think about the nature of who God is. And I mean, just that statement, that God is love. And this comes to a whole new light when you think about who he is as God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, all love. Imagine existing eternally in the most perfect community of love. That's who God is. Rabbi Zacharias, he even breaks it down a little bit more. He's an apologist. He's a ninja for the gospel, actually. Um, And Ravi says, you look at the Trinity, you have the Father loving the Son through the Spirit of love. Just imagine that. That is who God is. It's not that he did something and became love. It's that he always is and was love. And the good news of the gospel is though we have pushed away that love, that love is stronger than our ability to push it away. So that love has come through Jesus. So that's fundamental. It's that God loves. He demonstrates that through Jesus. But also he demonstrates this good news. It's who God loves. Who God loves. Which is what makes God a little different than us. God loves not just the good ones, not just the lovable, but God loves even those who are his enemies. You know, a good leader, right? They're, gonna, they're not going to teach you and tell you to do something that they're not willing to do. So Jesus said, love your enemies. And Jesus is able to say that from a place of moral authority because he was representing the fact that God was going to love the world. And the world is filled with people. And people, every one of us, are sinners. And that sin, the essence of that sin, we studied this, I think, two weeks ago when we talked about peace with God. Even here in Romans 5, did you notice this verse? It says, verse 10 in Romans 5, for if we were 
when we were enemies, you see it there? We were reconciled to God through Jesus. That's the nature of our standing with God because of sin. We have foolishly, as humans, declared war against God. The good news is this God loves his enemies, right? That's who he loves. He loves even sinners. This is so huge. He doesn't love the sinners and the enemies when they say, God, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be your enemy anymore. And he goes, okay, come on in. Get in here. Okay. You've made it. You've earned it. It says, while we were what? Still sinners, right? It's easy to go, he loved me when I was a sinner. But now that I'm different, he really loves me, you know? Like I've really stepped it up a notch. No, it's a God who loves despite prejudice. Even the way that Romans 5 describes it, if you look at verse 5, it says that the love of God, I love this language, has been poured out. Poured out. Do you see that, that, that picture there? Uh, compared to like how we tend to love, I don't know about you, but I tend to be pretty stingy with love. Like I don't really pour out love. I more portion out love. I have this like system that apparently is in, in, within my sinful, wicked heart, and I kind of like, I have these criteria for how much love you get. I have contingencies and conditions, all right? There's some, thing, there's, there's some personality, you know, um, attributes you can adopt, and you get it all, all right? I love you, but the second you're a little different than what I like, just a little portion, okay? You got a little love, all right? And listen, what we're talking about here is we're talking about the reality of us just having a limited capacity to love certain kinds of people. We, we tend to be selective with who we love. But this is not who God is. This is not what God is like. Let's be careful not to project upon God the love that we have for people. What we start doing is creating whole theologies that discriminate against people that God actually loves. And we create prejudice based on who we love and, and who we don't. All sorts of categories for this, political, racial, we especially do this with certain sins, right? But if we're Christians, it means we study the Bible, and the Bible gives us truth, not our culture, not our innate and natural privileges, whether we've caught them or, or we've developed them. Um, being a Christian means that I bow everything in me and around me to the authority of Jesus. And I say, listen, God, this is, might be how I love, but I don't live anymore to love like I love. I, I want to love like you love. And the way that you love who you love, you love people I wouldn't love. Here's the best way to remind yourselves of that. Ready? You love me. If I were you, if you and I were God, we probably wouldn't love ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> we really know ourselves, right? And if you think you would love yourself if you were God, that's a whole other problem, okay? We'll talk about that another time. But who does God love? Jesus displays that God loves even his enemies. If there is any, whatever theological framework you have, if it causes you to think that God loves some people and doesn't others, that's broken. That's not biblical. For God so loved the world, it tells us. The world. He loved the world. Every last one of them. And there's so many, I think, just ideas out here today that, that create this scaffolding that says, well, the chosen, the unchosen, and, you know, I can kind of tell you're not chosen, and kind of all these, like, really, listen, he either loves the world or John is lying. So think about our theological systems that cause us to have prejudices in our love. As we behold the love of God, we see that God loves, we see who God loves, and then, of course, we see how God loves. 
How does he love? He demonstrates his own love toward even us. That while we were still sinners, he didn't just say, I love you, but Christ died for us. He demonstrates how God loves sacrificially. John 3.16 tells us this, that for God so loved the world. So we see that he loves with the so, so love. We see who he loves with the world. And we see how he loves that he gave. Isn't this interesting? He gave. God gives us a further understanding and definition of what really is. And we're all, we're all to some degree trying to figure this out in our own lives. Christian or not, we see that there's something good about this thing called love. And we're just trying to figure out what is it. We'll pay money to figure it out. We will watch movies and read books and, and get counseling and therapy to figure it out. Whatever the case may be, we're after understanding this love. But it's in the person of Jesus that you see the truest things about love. You, you see first that it is something that is in a heart towards a person. Um, and that's something that God does in us over time. That's not something that happens automatically. But you also see that it involves more than sentiment and emotion. True love as displayed through Jesus, sacrifices, doesn't it? I mean, true love, it gives. Uh, the scriptures tell it this way in, in 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. By this we know love. This is how we know what love really is like. Love is not God saying, I love you, sinner. Love is God giving his son. It involves sacrifice. Think about Paul's call in Ephesians 5 for husbands to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives. I do. I really do. I love her. Okay, hold on. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, she beautifully and famously said this, that you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving. We, we've all given without loving before, right? God bless you, okay? You're pardoned or whatever, you know? Like we give without loving. We, we can give reluctantly. We can do love and not actually have love, but you can't truly love without giving. To be like God, and this is the picture of, of, of that, obviously, in the gospel. Not just that God loved, but I also want to point this out. It's the fact of, of what he gave, right? He gave everything. God poured out his love. And this is the picture also for husbands, right? Give yourself. I love that. Don't just give preference, but give yourself and all that comes along with that. And that is how we're called to love. We saw that example. Um, By this we know love, for God so loved the world that he gave. So that's the first thing that we see. We behold the love of God in Christ. This is the first thing that we are to do in response to the love of God. Uh, but write this second one down. We're, we're to do more than that. Okay? We just took a moment to behold what God's love is. It's a love that goes to the people we wouldn't pick. It's a love that even comes to us as those who have sinned against him. We see that he loves. We see who he loves. We see how he loves. But it's got to take a step further. Number two is we need to believe the love of God in Christ. We've got to actually believe it. Uh, the way that, that Paul says it, let's go back to our key verse, Romans 5.5, 5, where we see Paul talking about not just the love of God as a concept or as an idea that we're to behold, but it's as if he's calling us to true, genuine experience and belief with this love. He says, this love, verse 5 of Romans 5, this love, the love of God, has been poured out, notice this, in our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This is awesome. Paul is describing what it actually means to know God's love and truth. It's this download that happens by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God who has also, let me say, been poured out on our lives. He brings with him his love. What an awesome experience to have. The love of God, let's put it up there, it's poured out in our hearts. This is where true belief starts to happen. Um, and I, and I've, I've learned this, especially now, like eight, eight, or, eight or nine years now, teaching the Bible and, and um, sharing the love of God with Christians. How many of you guys have found that sometimes it's easier to convince other people of God's love than it is to convince yourself? Anybody? I find that writing this sermon, I was doing this point like, oh, this is a good one, <laughs> convinced of it. And then I, I was like, I heard the Lord kind of knock on my heart like, are you convinced of it? And in that moment, you know what I had to do? I had to stop prepping and go, Lord, would you pour out your love in my heart by your spirit? Would you download your love to me? Because it doesn't say that God wants to pour out his love in our minds. Now, he does. That's important. We should know. We just did that. We should know the love of God. But has the love of God gone from your head to your heart? Has it changed you? See, that's the real evidence of the love of God being poured out in your heart. You are different. You cannot have the God of the universe pour out his love on your heart and be the same. You can't. I'm not saying that you're perfect now. No, that's not one of the symptoms is perfection. But there's some difference. It's noticeable. It's recognizable if the love of God has been poured out in your hearts. You know, Jesus actually, he called this out in the Pharisees. They knew a lot about God. They had, they had good rabbinical theology. They knew the Old Testament. They, they were kind of cherry-picking his promises. But, but you know, they, they, were, they were good religious people that you could say had the love of God in their minds. But as Jesus looked at their lives, this is interesting. It's John chapter 5. I caught this verse while studying. I've never seen this scripture before. In John 5, verse 42, Jesus says, he says, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Like God knows you right now. And he knows whether or not you have the love of God in you. He knows that, and people here might know that you know it. But is the love of God in you? Has the love of God been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit? When is the last time you just asked God to do that? God, I've been raised in the church. I know that you love. I've been taught that you love, but I want to know that you love me in such a way that I'm different. And can I say it? The reason why I'm talking about how the love of God should make us different is because it's the love of God. It's, it's only the love of God that can actually change us. Do we know this? There's no motive to change and be different. There's nothing that can transform or save like the love of God. We know the law tried, right? Tried to save us. It, it didn't work. It, did, it showed us that God is holy. The law is good. It reveals God's character and moral, moral absolutes to us. But Romans 6 says that what the law could not do, God did. And sending his son Jesus. What couldn't the law do? The law couldn't save. What else can't the law do? The law can't transform. Now, don't get me wrong. The law can make you have better behavior. Great behavior. Church-going behavior, Bible-reading behavior, rule-keeping behavior. 
but it can't change who you are. It can't change your heart. It can't change who you really are. It, it can't change who you are even in private before God. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, have you guys ever been through this game before where you're like, I'm not loving God. What do I need to do? I need to keep more rules. That's my problem. Been a bad rule keeper. And guess what? That lasts maybe an hour. Doesn't it? And aren't you thankful, by the way? Listen, that's not the basis of your relationship with God. Christianity is not about law-keeping. It's about love-knowing. It's about being transformed by the love of God in the way that just rule-keeping can't. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, the love of Christ compels me, man. Like, you ever looked at a Christian and you're like, how, how are they doing what they're doing? How are they so radical? I have friends that have gone all across the world to bring the gospel to dangerous places, to places that, that the message and the love of Jesus wasn't there. Can I tell you what it wasn't? It wasn't that they were doing the right thing. And for many of us, that's our relationship with God. We're at church because it's the right thing. That has a shelf life that won't get you through the door of heaven either. But the love of God in Jesus will. The love of God in Jesus, the power of love, will lead you to do things that the, the, the demands of the law never will. Come on, and we know this not just because it's in the Bible. Like, we all have friends that were like, yeah, the power of love, it makes people crazy. It may, literally, it's amazing what love will do to someone. Imagine the love of God. I'm going to officiate a wedding today, literally right after this service. I, um, I'm not going to be one of the prayer counselors after the service today. I'm going to be in a van, zipping away. Um, uh, to Bradenton, Florida, actually. Nice West Coast Drive. And this is a, this, this couple that's getting married a part of our church. Ready for this? The girl went to UF. The boy? UM. That's how you grow. Love. It's more, it's more powerful than rivalry, all right? Now, now tongue-in-cheek, but man, you guys get the idea, right? There's nothing like the power of God's love. Can I, can I give us a few questions here? I, I was really praying about this, and I feel like God gave me, as I was studying 1 John, I think he gave me these for our church. These are four questions for us to kind of check our hearts. Say, this is a little checkup, okay? Let's do a little checkup. Am I being impacted and transformed by God's love, which is the Christian faith, or am I making it something else? Here's a couple of questions that we can ask ourselves from 1 John um, to evaluate if the love of God has been poured out in my heart. And by the way, I say 1 John because 1 John is a great checkup book. It can scare you if you don't read it in its proper context. You're like, oh, good, I, I went, read this to be encouraged, and now I don't think I'm saved, you know? And it can happen like that. Maybe sometimes a good thing, but 1 John is really about the evidence and sort of like how you know that God is at work in your life. And I want to give you four ideas from 1 John, four questions that we can ask ourselves in regards to God's love at work in my life. Here's the first question. I think you'll know that God's love is being poured out in your heart if, number one, you have a growing desire. Do I, do you have a growing desire to know God and be with him. And that comes from 1 John 4.18, which talks about how God's love casts out all fear. Fear is what pushes us often away from God, but it's the love of God that brings us close to God, right? Just like any earthly father, the kids are going to want to sit on the lap of a dad that loves them, right? And they're going to want to distance themselves from a, from a dad who's mad at them. And if in your Christian life, you're walking around thinking God's mad at you, you will never want to be with him. But what if God wasn't mad at you? What if God loves you like a father? Listen, more than any father ever could. 
And, and sometimes the biggest obstacles to knowing this love is we either experience really bad father love or really great father love, and so we project our father loves on God the Father's love. Behold this love. It's different. It's the love of God. And when that love pours out in your hearts, let me tell you something. Come on. The people you want to spend the most time with in your life, there's a love relationship. going. You love them. Friend or not, spouse or not, love pulls near. Amen? It pulls near. Do you and I, do we have a growing desire to know God and be with him? That's evidence that his love is poured out in our hearts. What about this question? Do I, in that relationship, do I have an increasing sense of love and affection for him? 1 John 4.19 says that we love God, we love him because, what? Because he first loved us. That's what his love does. To be loved by God is to love him back. It's to say, I, there's no one worth loving like you. There's no one I want to love. More. There's no one worth all of my love except this God of love. And this is a great question to ask. Am I increasing in, in my sense of love and affection for him? And I have to be honest, as I was preparing this, I had to say no. I was like, God, no, I'm, I haven't been. I've been increasing. This is what the Lord showed me. Just a little moment of transparency. I, I realized that I've been increasing um, in my sense of duty and, and service to him. And that honors him too, you know, when we serve heartily as unto the Lord. But, but God challenged me. He said, in all you're doing, is it growing your love for me? You know what you need, Andrew? You need my love in your heart again. <laughs> and that's what I got to experience even last night. And even, even in, as I was praying, I mean, just in that moment, it's like, God, I loved him in a new way. I grew in love. Jesus said, this is the first of all commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You cannot do that without God's love first coming to you. Do I have an increasing sense of love and affection for him? First um, John 2 would, would have us ask this question. Here's evidence to the love of God in your heart. Do I have a lessening love, a lessening love for the things of this world? This is another one that's hard because we have to be honest about it. And when we're honest, we're probably feeling rather low and convicted um, because our hearts love to love other things than God. Second, uh, Second Timothy 3, Paul's talking about the last days. And he says that in the last days, men are going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But to have the love of God in my heart, by the way, when I talk about the love of God being poured out, I'm not talking about like something that happened on this date. I'm talking about the rest of our lives, right? This is a regular outpouring of his love. This is an ongoing dynamic relationship. And it's not like, I don't have, these are all true for me because God's love was poured out on my heart two years ago. It's like, what about this morning? What about right now, right? And 1 John 2 says that one of the evidences of that is going to be that you love the things of, the, yeah, we love God, but we also love the things of this world less and less. It says in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Or the things in the world. That's the big idea there. For all that is in the world, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. And John will say this in verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if there, if there is an a, a increasing sense of my love for the things of this world, pleasure, position, passion, 
possession, all these things, if there is an increasing love for that next new thing, for that next new experience, if I am obsessively in love with the things of this world, the root issue is that God's love hasn't come in to wreck things enough. If I love the things of the world, the, love, the problem is the love of the Father's not in me. Don't hear me say this, stop loving the things of the world. Right? That's where we go, isn't it? i got to stop loving those things. No, you need the love of the Father. Because until you know the love of God in Jesus, you, you, you won't stop searching for love. Because you're constantly left empty and needing to refill. This is the woman at the well, isn't it? You've gone from man to man to man to man, relationship to relationship, love to love. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a water that's never going to run dry. I have satisfaction for your soul that goes beyond an experience. It's something that is always available through Jesus. And that's what happens when the love of God changes our hearts. So we have a lessening love for the things of this world. And then um, let's ask this question. Do I have a growing desire to obey God and keep his word? I, I didn't ask, do you perfectly obey God all the time and, do, and keep his word? Because we all know, no, we don't. But is there within your heart a growing desire to obey him? I want to obey you, God. That's evidence that his love is working in you. But 1 John 2, 5 says that he who keeps God's word, the love of God is being perfected in him. Isn't that cool? The love of God is at work in your heart by your desire to want to keep God's word and obey him. Okay, so this is basic Jesus 101. We don't obey God so that he will love us. We obey God because he loves us. Because he loves me, I obey. That's, it creates a desire to obey. It's just true, right? Like, I, I'm trying to teach this to my kids. Like, hey, guys, don't do this, okay? The reason why dad doesn't want you to go into the street, okay? It's not like if you, don't, if you go in the street, I don't love you, okay? If you stay out of the street, you got my love. It's like, no, it's the reason why I don't want them to go into the street in the first place, okay? I don't want you to get killed. I don't want you to get hit by a car. I love you. And, and for my kids to go, oh, dad, okay, he loves me. I'm going to trust his love and obey him. You see that? That's huge. So that's what God's love creates within us, these changing desires, this transformation that happens. Uh, and then I want to ask this segue question here. It will be the last one up here. Uh, this is going to transition us to our last point. Do I have a growing love for people that reflects God's love for me? Someone, again, who is undeserving, someone who was rather unlovable, God loved me, and do I have a growing love for others? Now, I was going to put a reference from 1 John, but it's literally the whole book of 1 John, first of all. is like, um, I think Mother Teresa said it really brutally, classic Mother Teresa. <laughs> um, she said, according to 1 John, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. That's John. That's not Mother Teresa, but she's quoting John. Okay, I'm quoting Mother Teresa, quoting John. Okay, Michael Scott situation. Okay, um, <laughs> he's a theologian. Um, that's a, right? I mean, First John's like, here's the real evidence of, of your loving relationship with God. You're going to love people. Uh, Ephesians five one and two is a great, I think, like just um, um, content context for this. It says, you know, be imitators of God and dear children, and walk in love just as God has loved you. And so you see this all throughout the New Testament, right? Like, hey, you've been loved, so go love. You've been forgiven, go forgive. You've, been, you've had mercy shown to you, show mercy. 
And so this is, and this is not saying like, go do it. It's like, this is what's going to happen. He who's forgiven much, loves much. So if, if you know, listen, the, the greatest fuel for loving people is being loved by God. And, it, and listen, because it becomes something that the Spirit of God produces and not you mustering. You know what I'm saying? You gotta love more. No, just be loved more. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Um, this is the third and, and final point where we want to talk about this idea of becoming the love of God in Christ. So this seems to be the, the, the call of Scripture and our response to this love that has come through Christmas. We're to behold this love, this incredible love that God loves who God loves, how he loves. We behold that love, but it's got to be more than this love that we analyze at a distance. It's got to be a love that is downloaded into our hearts by the Holy Spirit every single second. God, would you pour out your love in my heart? I need it because I, I tend to pour other ideas in there. I tend to have the, the law always creeps up. Anybody else? The law is constantly going, no, me. So God, pour, just pour out your love. In the original language, too, of the word pour, it has the, it has the picture of a waterfall crashing down upon a bunch of rocks. Like, it's like you can't fight against it. I love that. So God, would you pour out your love in my heart? And this goes to why God does it. Why does he do that? Why does he pour our love into our hearts? So we see this last thing in Romans 5, 5, and it says this. It says it's by his Holy Spirit, right? By the Spirit of God. Uh, the Spirit of God pours out God's love into our hearts. But we always know this, that what the Spirit of God applies to us, he's always looking to produce through us. Everything the Holy Spirit is trying to apply to us about God, he is always looking to produce it through us as well. So if he's wanting to download peace to our hearts, what, what, what the Holy Spirit is also looking to do is to make us that very peace that he's downloading. Does that make sense? If the, if the Holy Spirit is pouring out God's love into our hearts, uh, here's a simple way to say this. The reason why God pours into us is so that we might pour out what he's poured in. Jesus said that. My, my, it's gonna, my spirit's going to be like a, a, a fountain of living water. It's going to pour through you. And it pours out in love. I, I, the goal here is I, by the Spirit, become the love of God that I am beholding. Uh, and this is scriptural. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all, with unveiled face, there's our word again, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Check us out. We are being transformed into the same image, into the same love, into the same Jesus from glory to glory, that's the best part. There's not like levels, like where are you at? Okay, what level are you at? It's our own journeys in Christ being transformed from glory to glory. It's always this upward trajectory. Despite how low we feel, God is always bringing us higher. Notice this though, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That for me is a huge load off my back. I am not responsible for my own sanctification, thank God. It's the work of the Spirit to transform. Now, God calls me to submit. There's, there's, there's certainly a calling involved there, but there's this great promise there of the work of the Spirit to transform us into that same image, and it's the image, I, I want to say it this way, that it's primarily the image of love. Like, I don't think I'm off, off base here to say that I think the number one thing that God is up to in our lives every single day is making us more loving. Primarily. You, 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 uh, a lot of theologians talk about the supremacy of love. Like, this is what God is most concerned with making us more loving. We, we see this all throughout the scriptures. Um, I, I think of, of Colossians, the way that, that Paul says it. In Colossians 3, Paul's talking about like we're new in Christ and we should put on new Christian clothing, like take off our old garments and now put on Jesus. That's kind of like our part side of things. We talked about that. 
So you put on forgiveness, you put on all these things, you put on peace. And then he ends with this in verse 14. He says, but above all these things, you see this? Put on love. It's the bond of perfection. In other words, it holds it all together. Like he's almost like, if you guys struggle with memorizing all the things you have to put on, okay? Because <laughs> there's like four different epistles that talk about putting on good stuff. Put on mercy, tender mercies, kindness, you know, happy, I don't know. Okay, you know, like all these things. He's like, here, I'll save your time. You don't just memorize this, love. If you put love on, you've put on everything else. Isn't that awesome? He's like, put on love. It's the bond of perfection. Notice this, above all these things. Like, this is the thing of the things that God is up to in our life. And I just, you know what? Right now, some of you are going, mm-mm, I want to convince you, okay? Nobody did that, but let's keep going, all right? In, in Scripture, we see this uh, as a constant theme. I want to I kind of end with this idea. Galatians, I'll just give you these examples of, of God being at work um, in producing love in his children. Galatians 5 talks about the war between the flesh and the spirit. You ever faced that war? What the spirit of God is trying to produce in and through our lives, calling us to walk in the spirit that we live in. Let's walk in the spirit, and at the same time, the flesh is at war against the things of God. Okay, It's, it's, it's what the scripture says, enmity with God. It wants to fight against the things of God. So we're called to walk in the spirit. And Galatians 5.22 shows us that the primary fruit of walking in the spirit is love. It tells us the works of the flesh, and it says this, the fruit of the spirit is love. Then you have joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's a lot of debate about this, but the word fruit there, not just in English, but in Greek, is intentionally singular. There's another word for fruits that's for fruit that's plural. The fruits of the Spirit are all these things. But Paul uses this intentionally singular word to say the primary fruit of walking in the Spirit, a Spirit-filled life, it's going to look more like love than anything else we imagine. Love. Uh, another uh, important distinction, John 13, 35, we learn that love is the key characteristic of discipleship to Jesus. Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, by this, all are going to know that you're my disciples. This is your identifier. Not your Jesus fish on your car. Not your church attendance. Not your Bible knowledge. Not your witness wear clothing. Went to a Christian school, sorry. Every Friday we were allowed to wear witness wear. I'm not, nothing against witness wear. Wear it. Rock it. But that's not our identifier. The kind of music we listen to, there's our identifier right there. Is it secular? All right. Secular? All right. The key identifier to discipleship with Jesus is love. Jesus says that's going to be the thing that people look at and they go, oh, you're disciples of Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine people knowing that we follow Jesus because we love like him. It's the key identifier, the primary characteristic. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 13 tells us that love is the defining mark of spiritual maturity. Which is, and we go, yeah, we know this, you know, but no, we don't. We have all sorts of other metrics for spiritual maturity. How gifted they are, how bold they are, how much they serve, how much they know, how much they are. How much they have, they're blessed, they must be spiritually mature. And Paul goes through, we all know 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter of love. And Paul goes, hey, you, you could speak in the tongues of men, preach great sermons, and the tongues of angels. But if you don't have love, it's, it, you have nothing. You can give, and you can donate, and you can be charitable. You could even give, this is a pretty radical, he says, you can even give your body to be burned. But if you do that without love... 
It profits you nothing. You can have all knowledge and understand all mysteries and, and, and be able to connect this verse to that verse and articulate the love of God like no one's ever heard, but if in you there's not love, you're nothing. He goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, but when I became a man, I, became, I put away childish things. Uh, now abide in faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Paul's talking there about spiritual maturity in a church that was emphasizing spiritual, the manifestations of the spirit, great. We want to pursue that, but they were using that as a metric to determine spiritual maturity. Power, signs, and wonders are needed in the church of God. We're to seek after the work of God, but not at the expense of God's word, not at the expense of what God says is true maturity, not what we do, but who we are. Can I love people? That's spiritual maturity. Despite all that I know and all that I do, can I truly love people? Those who even have weaker faith than me or greater faith than me, can I love? And then lastly, the ultimate evidence of relationship with God. That's love, the ultimate evidence of relationship with God. I'll invite Nate up to kind of close us out here, but 1 John 4, 7 and 8 has this um, very difficult scripture. Uh, in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says, uh, um, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Um, he says this, If anyone does not love, he does not know God, for God is love. So Paul, John's like, if you know God, you'll show love. He says it's the ultimate evidence for relationship with God. There's evidence to the fact that you know him by the way that you love like him. So we see this call. Now, uh, here as we close out, even now, as we kind of end on this active tone, there's even right now probably this tendency to go, I got to be more loving. Have you feel that? I gotta love him more. I gotta love them more. And let's back up to the very beginning. Let's close in this central thought. It's not about doing more love, it's about receiving more love. It's about the love of God being poured out and poured out and poured out and poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Regular and recurring refills of the love of God. God gives free refills. He's always looking to pour out his love afresh. Do you know right now God is looking to pour out his love on your heart? Do you know that he wants his love for you to be more than a concept that you behold? He wants it to be something that's so true that it's what you actually believe. And that's going to be the very thing that makes it what you become. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.